I'm Dr. Jason Kessler. Long ago, I made a discovery that wasn't really new at all. I learned that there's not a single person that you'll ever meet who you can't learn something from. In this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life and see what together we can learn from them. My guest professor for today is James Joyce. I first met James several years ago when we uh, coached a soccer team together. James has been coaching many kids and soccer teams throughout the years. Uh, he describes himself as a dad of many and a coach of more. James Joyce, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Well, so tell me about how you first got started in coaching soccer. Well... You know, years ago, I uh, woke up one day and realized I was going to raise six kids on my own. And one wasn't mine, but she stuck around. Part of that was being a part of everything in their lives because I was it. I was going to be their one true north, their one rock. So I'm Atlas. I hold that world up. Starting out, I had a 13-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 5-year-old. A one-and-a-half-year-old, a newborn preemie, and one on the way that was going to have some struggles. And I decided that I would be a part of everything in their lives. And part of that was soccer. We went through our toughest time when their mom was removed, and we got through it together. And it's been a road, but coaching soccer was kind of what brought us all together. It's something that we could do together, something that I could be a part of, and I could be in their friends' lives, and I could get to know kids they knew. And those kids became part of my family. Some still come back and play for the parents versus kids game, but had a lot of help on the way. I haven't done it on my own, especially with six, but I wouldn't change a thing. It's been a good road. And soccer is just one piece of your involvement in the community and with kids. Can you tell me about some of the other things that you're... You, that you're involved with for kids in the community? So I'm on SIAC committees for the school. Um, I'm on the SIAC committee to keep kids from dropping out, um, at-risk students. We help make decisions and set policies and create things to keep kids in school and keep them on the right path. Um, I was one of those at-risk kids um, when I was young. I grew up in the projects in Tampa. And... Um, what else? Uh, the robotics team. I don't know how many wheelchairs we did for sure, but we did a lot of wheelchairs for toddlers that the insurance wouldn't cover and we donated them, but I taught them how to wire them. And then I walked Santa. Years ago, he helped me and I've helped him since. And he and I work together to help families year round and then help families at Christmas. We help a ton of families. We help families at Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, whatever it may be. And we do it because we care. Single parent provision, I work with that charity and help families throughout the year. And we have a single dads group we're starting and I'm trying to help get that off the ground and get single dads some help in the areas they need help and single parents in general. And then I help families. I mean, a lot of people send me families because it's been 11 years of me doing this and I've seen the worst, the worst, the worst, the best, the best, the best of times. And getting there, I've met a lot of people and known a lot of people and 
honestly, everyone I work with or everyone's ever helped me, I help back and I still help them. People send me a lot of people that need help. People send me a lot of people that are in a bad place and my, I guess my hobby is helping them. And I don't get paid for it, but it's good work, so good work is worth doing. And that's what it comes down to. I meet a lot of families through my coaching, and I meet a lot of parents and I, in all walks of life and all stages of life. And they come to me with things because I've been coaching their kids for so long. And I mean, average kid I coach for probably seven years. And I get to know them, I get to know their parents, I get to know aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever. I don't know, a lot of good can be done with simple things. It doesn't take work. It just takes showing up. I'd like to go back to something you mentioned earlier on, is your work with the robotics group in uh, in making some devices for uh, some toddlers and some handicapped kids, and you made some local headlines by doing that. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, about that project and how you got involved with it? I saw them in a parade, and I realized, you know, I... I design wiring for like big machinery and crazy stuff, garbage trucks, whatever. And I, these kids are doing these cool things. And these kids are like amazingly smart, just incredibly smart. But they didn't know the basics of hand tools or simple things. They're way above that. So I kind of came in and taught them those basics. And we figured out how to wire. And these kids made programming for these wheelchairs a kid named nick bergman who graduated from norwalk who is going to be the next big thing for just anything intellectual he came up with a program for the cell phone that the parents could control this ride-on wheelchair from their cell phone in like an evening and he is that smart and these other kids are all this way i mean they're beyond their years and it was so cool to work with them, and it was so good to actually be able to give that back, and it was a worthy cause, and I'll gladly put myself in that anytime. I mean, they're sponges. I mean, they learn. Like, you put something out in front of them, and you make it, you simplify it a little bit, and they take it further. I mean, they start teaching you, so it's cool to be a part of. I mean, when you think you know everything, they show you something else, and you're like, my brain was way too far ahead of that. That's... <laughs> Let's take it back a step, and you're right. And all of a sudden, it works. So the kids are really the thing. I just kind of taught them how to use tools and how to make things go together. But aside from that, they did the rest. They did the work. I remember when I first heard about the the story about the robotics club making wheelchairs for kids, and I thought that was really amazing. Um, and I still think it's really amazing. Um, but it's, it's neat to hear that the kind of inside story about, you know, how... Th- they really brought some of the, they brought their their knowledge and their expertise to the table. You brought yours to the table to teach them things that really made something great happen. Well, you know, I mean, we had one that we uh, had to do. It was an off-road one. And this little girl had never, ever been able to hang out with her siblings. Like, they had to carry her around the farm. They had to, like, she was on the couch most of the time while they were out doing stuff. And when we gave her this wheelchair, which, by the way, this little girl was so smart, like, she was gone. We put her in the wheelchair and she was out. We're trying to do an interview with the news and she's gone. She's just driving around having a good old time. And the parents sent me a video after it was done. And here's this little girl with a chicken in her lap. 
flying across the farm and all of her siblings who used to be out hanging out having fun while she was on the couch they're trying to catch up to her they're like 20 feet behind her as she's flying across the back 40 and it was the coolest thing and that that wheelchair had some stuff we had to work out i mean the coaches of the wheelchair team they're just brilliant guys and they came up with we all kind of got together and I got some guys from Ellsworth adhesives to come up with an adhesive and we had to make the wheels special because they were PVC and they would spin out on grass and gravel and we took those guys took mountain bike tires and put them on the wheels and riveted them and glued them and we did so many different things to make this happen and this little girl just she was living her best life and I've never felt better about one. I mean, it's good. I mean, it makes your heart whole. We do a lot of that in the community. A lot of really good folks in Norwalk. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are without the amazing community in this town. Like, people come together for simple things, for big things, for whatever. And very few cast judgment. And that's a beautiful thing. Because if you haven't walked in their shoes, you can't judge them. You can't decide that they're wrong right or otherwise you've just got to understand that they might be going through their worst of times they might be struggling with life in general they might be doing their absolute able best and still falling down but a little push and here you go are you working with an organization that does these things or is this just a dedicated group of individuals or so i work with some organizations um crystal Ellis, obviously, with uh, the Norwalk Ministerial Association. She is the most amazing person I've met in my life. She showed up in my kids' lives. About a week after my ex-wife was removed, one of the neighbors was really worried because this guy suddenly had six kids he was raising on his own, and she didn't see her coming and going anymore. And this woman showed up at my front doorstep, and I'm a kid from the projects in Tampa. You know, like I grew up. Everything has a price and a cost, and... It's probably going to end badly if you say yes. And her and this guy named Kaboko Innocent Kaboko showed up my front door. And they said, we're here to help. And I said, I'm good. I mean, a week after the ex-wife was removed, we got an eviction notice. The water was shut off. The electric was shut off. I had to pledge all my income through February. That was October 31st. And just to keep the lights and water and roof over our heads and I wouldn't have anything extra 50 bucks a week nothing for food nothing for Christmas nothing period and they said we're here to help and I said she'd sold all the furniture and clothes and basically everything we had and I was starting over from scratch with all these little kids and all their issues and I said you know I appreciate it but I don't do help and I can't pay you back for a really long time, and I'm not going to be in debt to somebody. And the next day, I actually had a day off, and there was a knock at the door, and I walked over, expecting the worst, because that's all I've been getting, and there was a pile of gift cards for food and gas and everything you can think of in the front door, and nobody there. And it was from them, but I wasn't really ready. I didn't know what to expect from it. Kind of started figuring out how I was going to pay them back, and they didn't want it. So it wasn't so bad. Um, people started showing up with dinners. 
my mom was helping with the kids because I was working 16-hour days trying to get stuff together, dealing with DHS, dealing with all kinds of stuff. Um, we got through it, but those people that showed up and just kept coming, they never had a reason to. And they didn't want anything in return. A week later, we suddenly had six cars lined up in front of the house and furniture that we didn't have. And we had the basics and nobody had to show up. They did. And it was tough to accept. It was tough to deal with, but we did. And we were better for it. And then about a week before Christmas, Crystal comes back and says, do you guys have a tree? And we had this, we had this tree that I found two blocks away on the corner. And it made Charlie Brown's Christmas tree kind of look pathetic, but the kids all made ornaments and we did stuff together. And she says, you guys got a tree? And I looked at the kitchen counter and this like foot and a half tall tree. I said, yeah, that's it. She says, oh, that's not gonna work. And she brought in this tree that was used, but it was our tree and it was pretty cool. And we put it in the living room and I said, it's kind of mean to do this because I'm not gonna be able to put anything underneath it. But about a week before Christmas, about six cars pulled up in front of the house, and I'll be honest, you couldn't walk through the living room. Never had a Christmas like that, but the kids had clothes again. They had basics, they had what they needed. I mean, it was used, hand-me-down. Some knew, but it didn't matter. I mean, we're humble folks. We don't expect much, but people came together and they propped us up. They didn't have to. So since then, that's what I learned about grace. I mean, grace is real comes to you shows up in the weirdest places and the weirdest things and you gotta look for it sometimes but god when it's there it's just there and so i help everyone and everything that's worth helping and ain't even some things that aren't i'll always be paying it back and paying it forward i mean i'll never stop i got help in my worst of times when i didn't deserve it so it's not up to me to judge someone it's just up to me to help it's been a long road I mean, heck, I got a 25-year-old with two grandkids and one on the way. I got a 17-year-old going to Iowa next year for pharmacy. She's amazing. 16-year-old will be following in her footsteps next year. Probably the same thing, same school. She's amazing. I got a 7th, 6th, and 5th grader that I couldn't be more proud of. And we struggle. I'm a single dad. I do it all on my own. One income, one everything, but I wouldn't change a thing. They make me possible, so I'm better for them. I guess that's the basics yeah. of me. <laughs> well, and you you grew up in such a way that when you needed that help, you didn't figure it was available to you. And you you no. figured if it was, it was going to come at a cost, and it was going to be a high cost that you wouldn't be able to pay. But then that help came to you. Yeah. And no, now you're totally. the one doing the helping. Yeah. I mean, I'm not rich or well off and a lot of what I do is on my shoulders but I'm helping a family this year um, took a second job I got four kids that they're living with the grandma and they told her she's they've never had a good Christmas so Christmas doesn't matter and I said you know what we're gonna have the best Christmas of our lives if it kills me and I got a couple organizations to stand up and help and I got a really good family here in Norwalk that helps unconditionally and they do some amazing stuff and they're going to help and my second job I've been able to pay for a lot of things that they want and need and we're going to pick them up we're going to give them their first good Christmas man if it kills me 
one of them, that kid sings like an angel. That kid can play guitar. That kid writes their own songs. Right now, I'm working on a guitar for that child. Got a couple donations, but I'm going to make it happen. She's going to have the guitar she deserves, and they're going to do something big with their lives. They're going to they're gonna show the world what they've got. They're going to tell their story. Christmas is happening for my kids. We got a surprise from somebody for all the work I do that I didn't expect. They kind of tricked me into letting them help us this year. Um, like I said, we're a humble bunch. We don't need a lot, but they're giving the kids a Christmas that they could probably never dream of. Someone I went to middle school with that I haven't spoke to much since then, but just follows me on Facebook and they watch all the stuff I do. I'm building beds for kids that need them. Um, I'm involved in a lot, uh, but I guess they thought my story was worth something more. Let's go back and talk a little bit about your history and your past. So you told me a little bit about sort of the story that drives a lot of the things that you do today. Go back further. Tell me about something from your childhood that still resonates with you and makes you who you are today. I grew up in the projects in Tampa. I mean, like the worst of places. Like, we had metal detectors at our elementary. We had metal detectors at middle school. We had a school so big that 45, 60 kids in a classroom was normal. I fought a lot. I had it pretty rough. I got raised by my dad. He was my adoptive father. Not my real one, but he's a good dude. He stuck around and put up with me because at one point I was a real monster. But I watched him struggle and work two jobs and I raised my little sister while he worked two jobs and never really had any support or help down there. Never really had any support or anything. And we just fought our way through life. And I've always sworn my kids wouldn't have to do that. My kids would never see me struggle even though they have. It hasn't been the struggle he went through. It hasn't been what he had to do. It hasn't been what I had to grow up in. I mean, I kept them in Norwalk because it's quiet, it's safe, it's kind, and it's good. And I promised them when we got together, or when it was just us, we wouldn't move again. I've done everything in my power to make that happen, and I will not leave this town until they've all graduated. They're amazing kids. In spite of me, I wouldn't have it any other way. When you grow up struggling, you just never want your kids to have to do that. And although I know they have to an extent, they never have compared to what I did. And they'll never know that. They're good kids. They're really good kids. So that makes it worthwhile and worth doing. And makes it easier than it should be. I think you've already mentioned a few things that could fit into both these categories, but I'm still going to ask you one of my favorite questions. Tell me about a goal that you achieved and one you're still working on. So when I wound up with all the kids, I was a retail manager um, working 16-hour days. And I took this blind leap of faith and took a $30,000 a year pay cut because I had all these babies and toddlers and I couldn't work 16-hour days. I couldn't be stuck in a place every day, all day. I got a job here in town where it was more flexible it was close by, I could get them to appointments, I could do things I needed to. And within six months, I was running that company, basically. And I did it for seven years, and then I ran another one. 
electrical wiring. Like I've learned it from the ground up. I've taught myself. I didn't go to school for this. My goal is to get my degree at some point just so I can show the kids I have it, even though I do it for a living. And they all have the same goal. I'm going to have a bunch of college kids. I'm going to have a bunch of kids that will never have to struggle the way I have struggled through all this. I mean, I took a job making eleven fifty an hour and worked my way all the way back up through a new industry. And I obviously make a lot more than that now, but with five kids still in the house and then the grandkids always around, you'll never make enough. Um, you'll always struggle and fight, but yeah, eventually I'm going to have that degree. I'm going to be able to say it's me. If I can do it, you can do it. So that's the next goal. And it'll happen. There's a lot of places that have helped me, and until I feel like I've helped them enough, I won't stop what I'm doing. What was your greatest failure, and what did you learn from it? I would say it's in the beginning. Not being able to help my ex-wife. She had a lot of struggles. Pain, emotions, so many things. And she made some horrible choices that affected our youngest, too, and her four kids after. And I couldn't help her you know back then that was 11 years ago and doctors pain management doctors whatever they just gave people the key to the city i mean all they had to do was go on webmd and see i have this and the doctor would say i don't even know what that is and she'd say well here's what they say to prescribe and they would prescribe it and she came in off the street with nothing and suddenly was on 40 milligram oxycontin and all sorts of other pain meds and pain management was her drug dealer. I mean, she met so many people there in the waiting room that they would trade pills and they would do things together. And and then the worst part about pain management is they, when you mess up or you test with the wrong thing or you test without the right thing, they just cut you off. They don't put you into rehab. They don't wean you off they just cut you off and then all of a sudden you have to go find it and you do and she was i'd get paid on friday and it was gone saturday before i could even get to the debit card i mean everything wiped out and i mean there was three or four times that she got kicked out with different things and no one once said how can we help that system was so broken back then and if i could have helped her more i feel like things would have worked out but my focus had to be the kids because hers was not, and I gave up on her. I quit her. The kids were the focus. My biggest failure was her. My biggest success is them. You've been involved with a lot of families, a lot of really great projects, done a lot of good things to help people. Tell me about one thing that stands out to you. I work with a group called Single Parent Revision. Um, they help single parents in general. They have single dads groups that we've started recently, um, trying to get that off the ground. Single dads meeting once a month to get resources and whatnot. They do a single dads day at the park for dads and their kids get to watch Cubs game in a the skybox. They do single mom's Christmas dinner, which is coming up December 10th. Volunteers welcome. Single moms, please sign up. It will be a night that you will never forget. But that group, Teal Bader, runs it. And she is one of the most phenomenal women I've met in my life. Her and Norwalk Santa. I mean, they are my role models. I love them. 
they do more for communities than anybody could. Biggest achievement is being a part of those two. Santa and the teal. We help more families. Okay, throw Crystal in there because she's just my spirit animal. But just helping families. Biggest achievement is every time that another family become whole. You know, the most annoying thing I think for me is when people say that they're helping needy families. And I always correct people on this because it's important to me. There is no such thing as a needy family. A needy family means that they're needy all the time. In order to be needy, they have to be needy all the time. And in my eyes, they're all families in need. Their families need a hand right now. They're not a family that needs a hand every day of their lives, which would be a needy family. Their family's in need right now. And when you fix that need, they're no longer a family in need. So never call them needy families. But the work we do with families in need, they need a hand up, not a hand out. They need a hand right now, not a hand every day. They're all trying. Biggest achievement is all the work they all do and I get to be a part of. Because I'm not doing it for them. They're not doing it for me. We all do it together. We put in the work. And at the end of the day, we go home and figure out how to do it again. It's just about being human, being kind, taking care of each other. There's a lot of folks out there that need it. There's a lot more that won't say it. But the ones that do, they do amazing things with it. The kids benefit, and that's what matters. I really like the way you've reframed need as a as a state. It's yeah. a temporary state. It's not an adjective mm-hmm. that describes a person or a family. It's it's a state. So two groups of people that I that I, I would like maybe for you to advise, if you will. Group of people number one is those people who are out there maybe in need of help, not knowing where to get it or how to ask for it. Sure. Um, That's what I work with. <laughs> yeah. What you would advise those people or, or, or how to get those people some of the, that help they need. On the other hand, I also want you to address those people who are out there thinking, gosh, I'd like to help. I'd like to do something. I don't know how to, I don't know how to get involved. I don't know what to do. I met this guy about six years ago, about five years into my single dad journey. And I was at McDonald's. My kids were at youth group that night and I went and had dinner by myself just for a quiet dinner. And like at that point in time, my kids were all still little and a night of dinner at McDonald's was like amazing. It's like quiet. It's nothing's going on. Just me. I can eat, sit down, relax. And I look across the way and there's this guy. He's sitting at the table. He's got a kid on either side of him. One kid's going off the walls. The other kid's working on homework. They're both talking to him. 20 different things. Asking for help. Reading their thing. Whatever. Out loud. And this guy's just got his hand over his face crying. And all I could think was, that's a single dad and I walked over after I dumped my food when the kids were all starting to pack up and I said hey man mind if I sit for a second and he looks at me like I'm nuts I said my name's James Joyce I'm a single dad I got six kids been raising on my own for the past five years and I want to help I can tell you're going through something 
What can I do? How can I help? And he told me a story. He's going through a divorce. And it's his visit with his kids. And he's having it at McDonald's. And doing the best he can. He doesn't want to be without them. And I mean, it's just killing him. And he's an amazing dad. He's an amazing guy in general. I've gotten to know him over the years. But I gave him my Facebook. I gave him my email and cell phone number. And we're actually really good friends now. He actually shows up and helps. He was at the last bed build with his kids. He brought his kids like I bring mine to teach them how to help others and how to put in work to help others. All I can say is talk to people. When they're at their worst of times and you see it, don't be afraid to speak to them. And when someone comes to you with somebody, because people come to me all the time with new single parents, lost their spouse, divorced, whatever, suddenly they're a single parent. People come to me a lot. Or just families in crisis. I get a lot of families in crisis. And I don't do this for a living. I mean, I I design wires. Um, but just talk to people. If you see someone struggling, man, find out why. I mean, don't judge or assume. Especially single parents that get a bad rap. They're late for stuff. They're doing stuff. They're not able to do what you can do. They don't contribute as much. Well, you know what, man? They got one income. They're fighting through it. The number of times I've seen someone arguing with their spouse over taking their kid to the bathroom at the pool and watch the kid pee on the pool deck because they were arguing about who's taking the child. Single parents don't have that option. So if you see someone going through their worst of times, talk to them. Ask questions. And remember, you don't know what they're going through. So before you judge them, figure it out, man. Because they're doing something that you probably couldn't fathom. Even though right now you can say you could, you couldn't. But at the same time, their kid might be your kid's best friend. It takes everybody. It takes a village. I couldn't do it without my village. My village is enormous. And 11 years ago, I had no village. And I wouldn't let anybody within 10 feet of my village. And now my village is huge. If I put the call out to help some family or help somebody, man, they come running. Just like Noah Santa. I mean, single parent vision, any of it. Be open. Be kind. Be humble. My biggest accomplishment was finding humility and uh, grace. It taught me a lot. Grace shows up a lot if you look for it. Learn to find that. That is the biggest accomplishment you can ever make because we're not bigger than anything around us. We're just a part of it. Talk to people and find humility and grace. Uh, those are, I think those are absolutely keys. <laughs> it's the little things, man. It is the little things, but enough little things add up and they and get they to be the, the big, big things. things. So, they do. Yeah. The kids and I talk about that all the time. Yeah, we we got to sell for the little things. <laughs> And all the little things become the big things. It's yeah. great. It's great. Tell me, what's the best advice that you ever received? I think we just said it. A long time ago, someone told me, look for the little things. Look for the robin that might be your grandma. Look for the cardinal that might be your grandfather. Look for the blue jay that might be someone else in your past coming back to smile on you. Look for 
sunshine on a bleak day, look for, gosh, just look out your front door and find those little things because they add up so quickly. Because when you're struggling, it's really easy to get underneath it all and let it all pile up on you. I mean, I got this tattoo on my chest that's Atlas holding up the world and I got all my kids tattooed on top of it. And I call it the single dad tattoo because I'll always be carrying the world with them on me. And I wouldn't have it any other way. The little things, man. Just find those. They get you through day to day. They kind of help you with your steps. When everything's overwhelming, seriously, just look for the little things. Those little victories, my gosh, they add up so quickly. Don't take on more than you can accomplish. Break it up into little pieces and suddenly those big things get knocked out so quickly when you take them on a little bit at a time. I'm telling you, if you try to do it all at once, you're going to fail, you're going to fall, and you're going to get discouraged. You're not going to want to do it again. But if you break it up and make it something worth doing, good work is work worth doing. It will work out. You will succeed. You will come out on the other side. That's why we all do what we do. Because it's better on the other side. Just accomplish your goals. So some of the things that I think we've learned today, uh, to look for those little things, take those little victories, break things up into those small pots, like we just said, um, good work is worth doing. Um, the rewards may be other than financial, but there are definitely the rewards of doing good work. About helping people as a hobby. I, I like that phrase that you used, helping people as a hobby. And you've been involved in so many things. In I was just trying to make a little list as we were talking here. You talked about making beds. You may, you were, had a big part in making wheelchairs for handicapped kids. Coaching soccer, that's how you and I met. And you've done work just in people being referred to you. Families and helping and helping people. I don't know anybody who would take a second job just to make sure another family had a good Christmas. That's amazing. It's time. They're all teenagers, man. I mean, they gotta know what it is. I'm gonna make this electric guitar happen. I'm gonna make cowboy boots happen. I'm gonna make, like I said, it's little things, man. I mean, they asked for some big things on their list. They asked for some little things on their list. I got some folks that are helping. At the end of the day, whatever it takes, I'll make it happen. I'll take on some side jobs if I have to, do some plumbing work, whatever, and they'll have the Christmas they've deserved. And I'll probably do it again next year for them. Because one's not enough. And I might do it for a few more. I don't know. But then I'll take on other families next year. So, it's kind of what we do. It's all going to be worth it. Wow. A couple smiles, man. That's all we ask for. A couple of smiles and, and a good Christmas. And a good Christmas. Really? That's what it's about. It's oh. work worth doing. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, James, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, I've got a little story I like to close with, and I like to sort of paraphrase uh, a college professor who said something to the effect of, uh, if you don't like something that I've done, tell me about it. But if you like what I've done, tell everybody. So I use that uh, example to encourage everybody to uh, uh, let me know if you have constructive feedback about what you've heard on 
the Professor Anyone podcast. Um, and if you like it, please hit that like button, subscribe, and tell your friends so that everybody can learn from anyone on the Professor Anyone podcast. James Joyce, thank you again for being here on the podcast today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Uh -huh.